Hello and welcome to Shades and Coffee, the almost weekly look good, feel good podcast presented by me, Vivian Braidwood. My guest today is a well-renowned life coach and yogi who has been truly transforming lives since 2001. His empire has expanded from his humble Harley Street beginnings and various London sites to include lush locations like the Maldives, Thailand, Costa Rica, Greece, the Himalayas, Vietnam and Morocco. Now that's what I call a yoga retreat. He's also a singer-songwriter and works on a variety of music projects. In fact, Oprah Winfrey described him as the singing yogi. He has taught yoga to designer Donna Karen and supermodel Elle McPherson, alongside many other celebrities and over 40,000 clients through the years. Today, we talk about his upcoming book, Mankind, and I feel truly blessed to be able to sit back, relax, listen and learn. Lamu, his beagle, joined our session and his wagging tail can be heard in the background alongside his occasional input into the conversation. I do hope you don't mind. Founder of Future Mind, Yoga Sphere and YS Yoga, please welcome Leo Lords and the lovely Lamu. Hello. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. You're all set up. Look at you, like a radio presenter. (laughs) If that's all you needed, a mic and a headset, wow, I'd have joined the industry years ago. <laughs> Where are you? Yeah, I'm just in, um, in one of my client's buildings. I'm doing some work in, so it's, it's quite nice. It's, uh, yeah, quite high up, so it's nice. You get lots of views of London and stuff. You know, the restriction for me has been a bit of a nightmare because I've got a book contract with Rizzoli Penguin Random House. It's a global book Oh, congratulations. Yeah, it's really yeah, awesome. I didn't know that. And I, I need to do some more travel for photography. And... The quarantine and being trapped out there, and you know, I've got this little one, so I can't. Um, Hi, Lamu. Lamu, Lamu. I've seen you on Instagram, Lamu. <laughs> Good to see you on Zoom. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not keen to just travel and be holed up in another country, and you know, because I've got responsibility. So I spoke to the publisher and decided to push it forward so that the launch would be in 2022. The book is called Mankind, so it's like yoga ecology for men. Mm-hmm. And um, and it's a it's the first sort of coffee table book of its kind that's focusing on not just the postures but this idea that actually we have to challenge that somehow you know I know there's a lot of really useful and necessary conversations about you know hashtag Me Too Black Lives Matter lots of voices that need to be heard but one of the voices that doesn't get questioned is the idea that we just live in a patriarchal society and men have of course entitlement and privilege which is seen in many cultures not just the UK. Mm-hmm. But there's this assumption made historically that somehow like, men screwed the earth up because of progress. But actually, you go back to early history, men were in touch with the elements. We were out there, you know, we were out there hunting, we were out there with the earth, we were watching the sunrise, we were finding ways to catch fish, we were building boats so we crossed oceans. And so the book is really a, a way of reconnecting men to that connection with nature and their own ecology and to help harness emotional intelligence in themselves so they're able to really understand their own nature as a man but also using that as a way to understand nature itself the book is um, really really fascinating so mostly photography and um, about 10 to 15 thousand words it's a life's work i've been doing it yoga yes i really had a chance to see and contribute to the industry growing but i really feel that all the iconography is still focused around a lot of flexible stretching uh, women you know and men are the largest growth area that need yoga but then when they look at yoga, they just see images of women. Basically. Exactly. 
yeah. or they see a guy in a suit doing meditation. So it's not representative. This book is a kind of book where if you're a guy and you look at it, you're going to be like, oh my God, that's just amazing. The, you know, the postures and the concept. If you're a woman, you're going to be like, oh my God, these are beautiful photographs. It's a proper like coffee table book, you know, like 15 inches and 13 inches, um, sort of large, 390 pages, you know. And it's lovely because for me, yoga is not just about stretching. It's about the mindset, being open, seeing things a different way. And I, I find that's the part I feel I can really contribute, not just, you know, the poses, yeah, doing handstands, splits, all that kind of stuff is impressive. But for me, really, the best part is what mental acrobatics you can do with your mind, yes. how you can stretch your consciousness. Yes. And for me, that's the path of the true yogi, the breath, yes. not just the postures. If you look at sort of the, if you were back in India, say over 100 years ago, you'd always be taught by male guru. The male gurus taught the yoga and actually men and women who practiced it, they were sort of meditative poses, but they were actually warrior poses. They were sequences like martial arts, um, mm-hmm. to, with developing your, your sort of agni, your fire. Your, it's very linked in different sort of pillars like Ayurveda and, and, and you know, just great, great philosophies. And, and mankind, in fact, with the publisher, when I first was discussing the title, they, they said, oh, is it, should we not call it humankind? I said, no, precisely. I want to call it mankind. It's kind of controversial, but actually it's showing that the challenge with mental health, which has a massive agenda for men at the moment, because men, you know, around my age are the highest risk. They're men above 40 at the highest risk around the world of suicide. Yeah, people don't know that, by the way. And, and exactly. And actually, why it's less women. Women express. They talk to their friends. They get things out. They shout about it. They scream about it. They discuss things. Whereas men, I think we kind of go into a little burrow and we can handle lots of really, really tough stuff. But when it comes to emotional things, we're like, it's like man flu. Men really struggle, actually. And a lot of the discourse and the languaging I've seen around men and mental health has been all about talk about it. It's okay to talk about it. It's okay to cry. It's okay. So a lot of it is just giving them permission to respond in a way that maybe isn't actually natural for them. It could be necessary. I mean, many men, I mean, I know cry, but they usually cry over things that move them, not sad things. Does that make sense? So like, yes. there's that kindness or if someone saves someone's life or a dog, you know, or that, or that bloody scene cast away with the ball. Men, men cry at that. Women just think, okay, <laughs> you, know, you know. And, um, you know, part of the reason why men maybe don't emote so openly is they don't know how to emote and people around them don't know how to handle it because we're so used to men being the constant, right? Like the, the, the protector. The, the hunter, let's go back. I mean, and it's changed a lot, obviously, because of the centuries of modernity we've had. But there, there's almost an assumption made that you've got to be like a rock. You've got to yes. hold your space. And so part of it is how do people respond? How do people react around that? And it's interesting because a lot of mental health discourse for men is essentially how women like to process emotions being projected onto men. Men actually like to fix things, even if, even if they, they, they're working on something and they like to have a purpose, a goal. They don't really gain the same resolve and resolution just expressing. So a lot of the kind of talk about it, it's okay to talk about it, it's fine to cry, it's okay to be um, vulnerable. All these things actually put men in a position where they can do that, but then there's not a plan going forward. So the way I look at it, why yoga is so awesome is the breathing, the meditation, but also you're working on the asanas, the postures. It's not actually cerebral. So just sit there and go, oh, what's going on? What's going on? Just, just the act of doing the postures, the sequencing, the breathing. You're like, you're creating an escape, which is just like so centered. And then from that point, and that's what I find really interesting about it, because it doesn't mean you have to talk about it. It doesn't have to be a talking tool. It can be a pragmatic movement-based. You're still processing. So whatever it is that's upsetting you, upsetting the balance of your well-being, you're saying basically that this is a technique that possibly is easier for men 
as a tool, as a solution, as opposed to what we currently assume, which is a very, um, let's talk about it, which yes, is very easy for me as a, as a woman and for my female friends. We do naturally talk about you know, everything quite openly. I think part of it is conditioning. I've seen it with parents and you know, with their children. Boys are definitely treated differently um, from yeah. girls. If they don't know how to do something um, later on in life or how to access something, perhaps in their early years, they were conditioned to shy yeah. away from that, to be that rock, don't cry. You know, you've fallen down, get up, be a man. Even the term man up, it's like- Man saying, up, yes. Like, it's such a dangerous thing to say because it's just saying, therefore by being such a defender, you're not being manly. But, but what is interesting is men being vulnerable doesn't really benefit them and it doesn't actually benefit wider society. But men being tender is awesome. So father being tender, husband being tender, a lover being tender versus being vulnerable. Define, define vulnerable. Define vulnerable so I understand. Yeah, so when I, when I use the term vulnerable and tender, the, the way I look at it is when you're vulnerable, things are happening to you and you feel that you have no sort of determinism over it. So when, when you're vulnerable about something, you feel that, that, that there's no, choices aren't available, you feel that you're weakened in that situation or disempowered in that situation. And if men are vulnerable in that sense as a stage, that's fine. But for men to be continuously vulnerable doesn't actually serve them, right? Or serve wider society. Whereas being tender is the other side of it when you are sensitive and you are conscious and you are aware of your emotions, you're aware of, of your feelings, of the impacts of others' feelings, you know. Oh, Lamu, Lamu wants a hug or something. Yeah, <laughs> I, can, yeah. I can hear him in the back. You're saying all these key words, I want to hug, yeah. <laughs> tender, vulnerable. He's like, yes, would you pay me some attention? <laughs> yeah, it's way too much attention, as you've seen from my Instagram. She's kind of taken over it. So, first of all, I think the problem when men feel they have to man up is because everything is led to performance. There's a big pressure on men, you know, your job, your, how you are in your marriage or your relationship, how, you know, and because you are measured by how good you are in those things, when you're not doing well, then the, the usual response is feeling vulnerable. Right? As if, you know, like a guy losing his job now, let's say through COVID, he's going to go, okay, what am I going to do now? You know, for work. It's very, it's very much tied in also to his sense of identity in a way that less yeah, so, I think, for women. So it's quite a dangerous place to right. be in, yeah. And for women, you've got many sources. So women, for example, if in through COVID, you, okay, you, you've got your work, and then you also, women have children, they can help and teach them, they, they've got the... The, the relationships they have very strong bonds with females and brothers and just wider family women learn to tap into those sources as a way to enable that their mental health is kept in order whereas men they number one they don't know how to and they don't necessarily they, as we said they burrow so for them to be able to take the responsibility and to develop the emotional intelligence and, and start developing a yoga practice and being conscious of their breath and their stress levels and and also at the same time you know it's physically challenging it's like some of the postures and it's really it's also creative so it's kind of giving them their own sort of framework to sort of own their own mental health and then from that is to really experience the, the tenderness that of, of actually my emotions that the, the, the word emotion doesn't have to be a word i avoid you know i don't have to always be defined by how i perform what i've certainly found is when you have that in yourself then you can really contribute truly contribute you know if you look at a lot of them sort of men out there and they, they put all their sort of effort into working and, and, and you know and, and just following that pathway you know if we started to sway more towards which we've had in history more matriarchal cultures like Egypt 
you know, um, if you go back in history, it's not always been really patriarchal. You've had very senior women that were princesses or queens. If we were able to utilize men in a way where they understood that they weren't the opposite of women, and actually the mixture of the, the sort of the thinking and the creativity of women, plus just the absolute contribution power of men to transform this earth, literally could bring it back into balance. So part of what the book wants to do is get them to really connect with their love of nature in a way that's profound so they can be of service. And when you're of service to nature or ecology, then if we have a plan, which is like we need to plant shitloads of trees or we need to, we need to reconfigure and rebuild even from a broken state, then men, we need their strength for that, right? And we need their, their harmonization with supporting women and each other. And at the moment, what's happening is we're kind of pitting off each other and trying to level it out and, and ignoring the fact that we do have differences, and that's beautiful. I mean, we really have to celebrate the diversity of the difference between the, the masculine and the feminine. But instead, what we try to do is we try to just level everything up so it's kind of fair, which is which I get why we do. But then in the process, we sterilize the differences. I say embrace the differences. As you said, I think that there are many differences that should be celebrated. In my early days of my career, I found that it was quite confusing. There were a lot of women that I would come across and possibly myself included at some points in my career, you have got all these male behaviors. Yeah. You know what I mean, why can't you just be yourself and that be celebrated and appreciated and, and acknowledged? Why does it have to be, you know, this one's over here and this one's over there and mm. they're competing, you know, and, and, and there's a problem. Do you know what I mean? Of, of course. And I think, I think that that is also coming from a point of view of um, vulnerability. So I think, you know, competitiveness is really healthy. But if it comes from a position of like ego, I mean, yoga talks a lot about ego, sort of attaining a non-ego state. So you can grow, you can progress, you, all these things are fine. Even work, arta, it's called arta, is a great source of your life nourishment. Work is great, work is good. Yeah, we should work. It's healthy for the mind. But when it's driven by the elephant in the room, which is that they don't know how to love themselves or they've always been a provider or they're always fighting to, you know, maybe you don't have to fight anymore. Maybe you could achieve more by attracting, not fighting. But there's this kind of bravado that's been this kind of off product of, you know, male sort of, I guess, culture and also um, entitlement and privilege, which men have had historically. And it plays itself out in ways that I think actually, truly, it looks like it alienates women and other people, but I think it alienates men. I think a lot of men... From each other. Yeah, absolutely. So the bravado becomes something that they do, they feel they're part of. But there's many of my friends, you know, who love playing for a football match, love being with their mates. But there's a real solace when they're with their woman. Or there's a real solace when they're playing with their kids or with their dog. You know, and then when they... But they don't have in their groups. Absolutely. Because in the group, there's a, there's a closeness, there's a bond. Certainly there's a bond. And again, this is it. I'm sure there's many um, healthy constellations. I'm not suggesting all male group constellations are not good. But in the, in the context of what you mentioned about the bravado, I think that's almost like a, like a kind of armor it's a hardening that it's, it's almost like the remnants of the fighting spirit like you know you see that also um in in, in africa some of the older cultures that like maasai and so on you know when covid happened they used the maasai warriors to go and scare the people into following quarantine because people would not mess with the maasai and the maasai are really calm people but if they need to fight they can kill a bloody lion if they need to oh yes i've seen <laughs> On, on the television, my goodness, yes. I'm going, I'm going to do a shoot with them, actually, because I often spend time in Maasai land when I'm in Africa. In Kenya, I run a big festival. Every 400 people come to an island called Lamu, same name as my dog. 
and massive and um, Masai there and I met them and uh, I'm going to go there and do a nice massive shoot with Masai and we're all doing a sequence together. I've taught them different breathing techniques from yoga. Will this be in the photo book? Yeah, yeah. Has, yeah oh, wow, yeah. that's incredible. But, but what I feel is that, you know, there's that sort of hunting history which we have, like, you know, primal built. And I think if you look at even football, remove that ball, it's an amphitheater. There's something about men that we are, you know, versus the last 100, 100 years, we're used to blood. We're killed for love. We're killed to protect. We're used to fighting. We're tamed down and then we express this through video games or through football or, you know, through competitiveness. But that fight is not necessary because we don't have the same threat anymore. So men don't have to be that way because we're not under threat constantly. So it's almost like there's a real pleasure for men if they realize the day is good. There's no fighting, there's peace. They can stop and they can enjoy it. And, and I find some of that bravado culture is weird. We just indulge in it. We love it because it's crazy and it's fun. We're like shouting in the top of my lungs. because Testosterone, yeah. Absolutely. But then after a while, you're kind of like glad to just be at home. You know, it's, it's, there's, a, there's a part of men, I think, that don't admit it. They'll never tell their wife or their children, but there's actually part of them when they've had like a real bender and been out with their friends, they're just like, I'm really glad to be back at home, you know, <laughs> having a sandwich. Although you're saying there's a lot of bravado, there is a lightness. One thing I struggled with when I started to make female friends was I didn't think that lightness was there. Yes, we talk, we chat, whatever, but oof, a woman scorned. Or so, you know, there's a lot yeah. of competitiveness, but it's a different type. I didn't find that they would easily let things go. So there was a problem, you upset somebody, it just festered and you felt it. Whereas with my male friends, yes, they might say, oh, please don't do that. And then it's forgotten. And I quite like that. This is a very good point. It's actually supported by research. And I've seen many examples where a woman, you know, in, in work, for example, have found their nemesis has never been a man. It's been other women. You know, there's a great book called Sapiens, really good book, Sapiens. And um, it just covers that sort of homo sapiens us, right? What makes us different to apes and what makes humans humans? And it covers the story of essentially how we started off, you know, in the wild and then how we started to make our way into modern situations like we are now. And one of the things it says that makes us differ a lot to animals is actually gossip. So, oh, really? Yeah. So humans, we constantly talk about things. Now, gossip is obviously the negative side of it because gossip is always wildly inaccurate let's be honest right if you look at most of what we live in now it is constant ruminating about how things will be or could be or is what's happening exactly so we we are constantly talking about things and we're always wondering who's with who, who's doing what when are they doing this what's happening in the markets what's going to happen in six months what's happening in my shares um in fact a research company called Sinter, the scandinavian think tank they discovered that over 90% of data created by the human race has been created in the last two years. Yeah, I can believe that. I heard something, I mean, don't quote me on this, but it's, it's something to the effect of the information that a person, say like 100 years ago, would have gathered yeah. in their entire lifetime. It's in one day, right? We, we get it in one day. It's a lot, but our brains have not developed That's where the stress at, is at that rate. Yes. So, so what's happening is we, we've got this bombardment of all this information coming to us. And, and the confusion is we, we don't pause. We don't even maybe know how to sort of pause and say, okay, well, that's just information or crap or just gen generic stuff. You know, how do we turn that into insight? Is it useful? So it's like the funnel has just, it, it's turned the opposite way. And I think this is why a lot of people experience a lot of distress in modern living. They feel quite displaced or dissociated because 
a lot of trivial things that don't concern them are coming to them. Now, what's happening is because of algorithms, because of um, you know retargeting, so they they know what we're watching, so what we're um, what, looking at online, what what things we choose, and now the information is being harnessed and funneled in for our interests. So there's a, there's a whole feeling I think where people really miss nature. You know, there's this longing inside of us. Carl Jung said this. He says, you know, nature is a great therapist. It's a great healer, and I feel you know this is why it's so important for men and women to connect to nature as a way to understand their own nature that's really beautiful <laughs> i knew of you many years before i met you but didn't put the two things together so yeah. my business partner who is considerably older than me found this amazing life coach and when she was speaking to me about this life coach i have a confession to make the only thing that stuck with me was how young you were because of how old she was and mm. knowing how much life experience she had. I don't remember saying, but what life experiences he had? In my mind, I don't know how old you are now, but in my mind, I thought you were maybe early 20s. This, mm -hmm. is, this is in my mind, you don't need to confirm that. And I really no, learned no, something. No, I was in my early 20s. She was so impressed. And you know when you trust someone's judgment? I knew you must have been awesome. But it was strange that I just made that judgment. Do you know it's interesting because I actually like that judgment. It sounds odd because that's the, if it was a game of poker, that's my secret hand. Right. I've had people dismiss me many times through my life. Even when we first got into the shard, people were like, what do you do before they knew about the shard or whatever I've created? I said, I'm a yoga teacher. And they goes, oh, so do you, do you hire a church hall? And is it busy? <laughs> uh, do, do you do things through Eventbrite? And how do you do it? I says, no, 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 actually we have our own system. And I don't rent places anymore. We have a studio that is based in London Bridge. Oh, we're in London Bridge. I know London Bridge, but oh, the Shard. Oh, the Shard. So you must be doing well then, right? And then, so then, then it'd be like, all that's happened is one judgment has been replaced by another judgment. It'd get even worse. It'd be like, and then eventually, I, I remember actually, it was in a magazine interview and they said, you must have an investor. You can't grow a business to 40,000 clients in so many locations. And, you know, with no investors, no loans, no overdraft, just nothing. I said, well, I can't get an overdraft because I have a crap credit rating. I didn't get investors because I just wanted to do it myself. And um, as a kind of this closing note, remember that anything you do, people are invested in. So all the people around us are invested in us being well. And the greatest gift, and it's not an act of selfishness, is to make sure you're well, you're good. So, so actually what I realized, and, and, and why, I don't, I don't mind actually, I have no offense if someone's like, who's young, or how do you do this, or whatever, is because then they dismiss you. And sometimes when someone dismisses you, they give you the freedom to just go in ahead. And Whereas if they really, yeah. They don't expect you're going to do it. People have no idea what their true legacy is because you touch someone and you don't realise to what extent you've changed the world. But from that point in time, and that was around, I think, 2005, something like that, mm -hmm. um, I, we have this phrase called the Leo moment. And you would never have known this because I never met you. I never knew who you were. <laughs> I didn't make the connection. And so I've learned to try to be really compassionate of other people when they judge or they mess up because I realise that we all do that. We all make mm -hmm. mistakes. We all, we all have these moments because it happened to me. I'd been judged. I didn't like it. And then I was doing it. It's so interesting because when we go back to the point before that humans are always talking about what things mean, we can't escape a world of judgment. I think, you know, what we can do is be perceptive, be an observer as being better. Right, so can I observe the situation? Can I get the facts? Can I have a view in it? Can I have a perspective, even a narrative? That's fine, even the paradigm is fine. But, but we, we should not prepare ourselves for a world where there's no judgment, because that's a utopian vision that will never come. And in fact, sometimes when you have judgment, 
you know, if you look at a sculptor, when they create like the most beautiful statue of an angel, for example, or a beautiful statue, you imagine how many times he would have, hit, he or she would have hit that bronze with so much impact, right? So much impact to get it into shape. And mm. then with the smooth love of polishing, bringing it into the final statue. So we are beaten and we can be bruised, but actually judgment can actually be like that. It can be that impact that, that helps us to become better. So, so we should never escape judgment. We should be like, you know, bring it on. The way I look at it, and as a maxim I've always had, I think, is what someone thinks about me is none of my business. Because it's their perception. If, as long as it doesn't affect who I am, and I know who I am, and that's, that's assured, the deepest level, there's a self-love and a self-guardianship that's, that's honored. It doesn't matter. You know, I'm not valued by another person's perception. That's such a great freedom that there's such a great freedom because you're like, you know what, people can have whatever and it might have stickability, mm. it might, but it's not going to actually affect the core of who I am, which is actually untouchable. That's and beautiful. That's, yeah, that's the way I look that, at it. That's, that's really beautiful. Are you yeah. still life coaching? Yeah, I still do that, yeah. But you are awesome, absolutely incredible. And, and um, you know what? I just became more of me. That's all each of us have to do. We don't have to become like someone else. Yes. And we define what me is and it's a constantly evolving changing beautiful journey with the different layers of self and all that happens is the self-love feeds back and then then the whole other subject if your listeners want a, a sequel we can do one in a month or so about manifestation and how that affects how you can manifest things in your life you know i like it's, that i'll put that out there let them decide thank you so much for your time this is a wonderful conversation this morning take care then all right thanks leo take care bye, bye. bye. You've been listening to me, Vivian Braidwood. Ask me any lifestyle-related question or let me know which topic you'd like me to cover during our essential coffee break. Tag me and use the hashtag Shades and Coffee with Vivian on Twitter or Instagram. If you like this podcast, hit subscribe and please rate us. Shades and Coffee. Look good, feel good. Mm-hmm.